So today we have a very special guest joining us, and he's someone that really embodies the true meaning of perseverance, hard work, and dedication. This dude broke the world burpee record twice, as well as the world step-up record. He's also a national champion in the triathlon and duathlon. He's an accomplished mountaineer who's on his way to Pakistan this summer, and he's a successful business owner. And he's here to share his story with us. I actually met him on the top of Mount Hood last year. That's how our relationship started. But yeah, I brought him on the podcast today, especially to inspire those of you that may have been raised in a small town like myself. He's just a very down-to-earth guy that's super relatable and I think is going to provide a lot of inspiration for those of you that are listening. So sit back and enjoy the podcast. And we're live. I'm just kidding. We're not live. <laughs> just see his face. He's like, oh, shoot. No, today, I actually, I have the pleasure of interviewing one of the most inspirational pr- people I know personally, for sure. And just a great down-to-earth gentleman from Ware Shoals, South Carolina. So welcome to the podcast, Cam. Thanks, Chad. It's great to be here <laughs> with you, man. <laughs> now, Cam is a super humble guy. And I'm inviting him on the podcast today because I want to explore a little bit more about all of these accomplishments that he's done. Uh, As you can tell from the intro, like there's a lot of stuff right there and kind of where I wanted to start off with. And and it's something I know that is super dear to your heart, which is your hometown in South Carolina. Right. And so kind of doing some research and I remember talking to you. One of the things that you did was you raised 20 grand uh, that went towards providing them with shoes and heart rate monitors for their cross country team, right? That's correct. And that's so cool. So kind of what my question is, as coming from a small town myself, is what are some of the thinking errors that you think people raise in small towns have a proclivity of having? I think you can encapsulate that as small town does not mean small opportunity, right? I look at all roads lead back to Waterloo, where I'm from and where Shoals. But you can get anywhere in the U.S. from Waterloo and Ware Shoals. So don't think just because a job opening is not there in your town of 150 now, is what it says for Waterloo, South Carolina, that there's not a job out there. You might have to change zip codes. You might have to change states. Mm -hmm. But what you have to take is that small town mindset. And I don't want to say a chip on your shoulder, but you got that work ethic. And if you take that to the big city and to the trust fund kid that's just waiting, you're going to break him apart bit by bit, destroy him with your endurance and keep showing up. And people realize that over time and he'll give up. I love this. So what you're saying is like, as being from a small town, you kind of develop this, this certain mindset that that is like kind of an endurance mindset, which is a lot of uh, around the accomplishments you've done. Yeah. Get up in the morning, go outside, feed the dogs. Here's your chore list non-negotiable right not everyone's raised that way right you get home from practice here's what you've got to do i started paying social security and a tax bill when i was 12 i can look back on my records because i was cutting grass at the time four acres of grass after practice right at a church Mm -hmm. not everyone grew up with that and that builds that endurance and that work ethic and yeah it's the foundation of who you are it's just the so the small town folks like you and I we have this kind of a different mindset. It's just like you're kind of raised to kind of help out with some of the stuff with the family's got going on, things like that. You got remember you talking about like farming and stuff like that, right? Yeah, you got it. And then you know, Chad, every day when you you're training for a running race or a hundred mile, you did. Did you want to run every day? 
Absolutely not, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. But not. some of the best days to run are the days that you don't feel like running. Mm-hmm. So that non-negotiables of doing the chores or whatever the activities may be, they just instill you to just take that first step and get get the deed done. It doesn't have to be pretty, but get the job done. And it's almost yeah. So it's almost like get through the suck, and then you kind of had you can re- reap that afterwards. That's that right. Success. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Now, you know, I named a bunch of stuff that you did in the intro, right? And one of the places that I kind of wanted to start out at was the three world records that you broke. And they were in, I believe, burpees, now step ups. And then what was the other one? Yeah, two burpee ones, 12 and 24 at the same time. um, And then the step up thing. Now, out of those three, and I'm get, I know I think I know which exercise would this may have came this might come up in. But what was the biggest challenge out of all three of those? What was like the biggest challenge that you encountered while you were either doing it or before you were doing it? And it could be mental, it could be physical, or maybe even both. Like, what was the biggest mental challenge versus and the most physical challenge? Yeah, the the burpee came across the why. That's when I was in and racing like elite triathlon, going all over the place just to race for myself, right? Mm-hmm. And you accrue all these different medals. I don't know where any of these medals are. Um, you know, like at the end of the day, great. I did that. That's in the past, but that was for me. But then the mental just kind of shifting gears and starting the business of the suitcase of courage and then being like, what can exercise do for you mentally? You know, now that's getting mainstream, like the mental benefits of exercise. But I looked at it as like, this is something that I can do to bring some notoriety to my town and get donations in order to get these kids, the shoes, the garments. And we went down to Peru and built a whole rock climbing wall, school supplies for multiple years down in Juarez with that money. That for me was the whole purpose of doing that. And I said before the burpee world record, the town has done their part in donating the funds. Now it's time to do my part because I wanted to do $10,000 and we were well over that for 10,000 burpees. So I looked at it as like, it's my time now to do the chore or the thing that I said I would do. And your word is your word, right? Like it's one of those things like being brave. Like once I say I'm going to do something, that's what I have to do. There's, it's a non-negotiable. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting because a lot of these world records kind of lead back in some way, shape or form to your hometown. Because one of your last ones was you actually did it in the in the stadium or in the at the field, right? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how much does that mean to you when you're like, do you get a nice like burst of energy being there? It's got to be like really because I know it's something that's very near and dear to you. And so there's got to be a little bit of an actual home field advantage there. Yeah. And it's a small town, too. Like that town is fed from smaller towns. Um the kids for high school, right? But if you looked on the Wikipedia page six years ago, it talked about the closing of the cotton mill. And that's where my grandpa worked. It caught on fire. My dad was a volunteer firefighter, put the fire out. And they said nothing significant has ever happened since the 80s in this town. What? Talk about getting pissed off. I mean, honestly, madder than hell, right? Like we had kids that I played football with that played at Furman, Georgia Tech. And you got all these old timers, and I'll say it here, they're stuck on the past, right? Like, and they just want to talk about the old baseball teams that played there in textile mill when it was still segregated. 
Mm-hmm. We ain't got time for that. It's 2023. It's time to move on. And it's time to set a world record in that town and then show these kids like, look, quit live like, OK, you don't want to romanticize the past. This is where we are now. But take that one step further and come forward 10 years and break this record. I just set here. That's the way I look at it. So and that was truly like one of those chips on your shoulder chips type of deals. We yeah. changed that Wikipedia page, wrote to Wikipedia. Yeah, you just can't have that, like instilling, like the ship has sailed mindset, right? This is now. We only have today. Who knows about tomorrow? <laughs> right. No, dude, I totally understand, like, that small town, like, mindset, right? Like, because you do, like, it's hard to get out of that if you're not seeing somebody from your hometown actually doing the things that you think, like, you dream of doing. Right. And, and that's kind of the role that it sounds like you're filling, especially by doing some of these things and then actually going back to the town and breaking the record in the town, which like that's huge, man, like yeah. in front of everybody, you know. Yeah, they shut the school down. It was really cool that the principal there, Maria Tires, shut the class down, had them come out, and witness it. Uh, Fox News came and streamed the whole event for eight hours plus. That was amazing. Full coverage there the whole day. Um, yeah, you have to have someone like a, a mentor of mine was uh, Bill Maxwell. I met him a couple times in high school, but he was the strength and conditioning coach for Kansas, like Paul Pierce. He came from that town, dude, and now he coaches at Iowa. You know, the Iowa girls now are in the Final Four. That's he coaches the strength and conditioning for these ladies, and he's been there twelve years. We should talk about the living people like that, not the ones from the twenties and thirties. That's great. But that's someone you can get on the phone to. Me and Max talk every two weeks or every week almost. Dude. Yeah. So that just strengthens it. So it's – yeah. So the having a mentor or an, an idol that's actually living, doing things that you want to do currently is a little bit more it, – it makes more – is more impressionable for a younger person to actually see and 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 have that in their life. Correct. Rather, history books are great, but they can't, they're not interactive, right? I can ask Max, how, what was it like to travel to Kansas and get inside of his mindset, you know? So. Have you had anybody from your hometown personally reach out to you, like younger kids or anything like that, and be yeah. like, hey, really appreciate what you did. Like, I really look up to you. Like, how, how does that make you feel? And how do you, how do you, what do you, what do you think of that? What do you make of that stuff? Yeah, I'm thankful when they do reach out. A lot of the kids have, but I automatically try to steer the conversation to what are they trying to achieve. So it's beneficial for them, and I can give them some advice rather than talk about a deed that's already done. That world record's there. You could go out and break it tomorrow if you wanted to. It's in the past. It's cool, but I want them to achieve whatever it is they may want to achieve. Interesting. What are you seeing like from as common responses to that is, is there any kind of common theme people want to do are they trying to maybe take the track you went to with some of the endurance things are they you know trying to be an nba basketball player what, what are some of the things that they're throwing out there i think it's very creative a couple of people want to get in the, like the um the legislator like get in with mm. the government in south carolina and then they went to the university of south carolina or it's i want to be a police i want to be a police officer what do you think mm-hmm. and it's almost not that they need the sign of approval or someone to say, yeah, you can do that. But if that's what you really want to do and your heart's behind it, here's how to do that, right? And if they're looking at a different pathway rather than 
I'm going to school to get this degree to hopefully get a management job somewhere. It's more kids that are thinking outside the box, I think, that have contacted me. And I really like that. Inch, interesting. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, and they probably see, again, you're kind of that role model for that. I mean, breaking world books of records, also being an entrepreneur, like kind of carving your own path. They probably, they're seeing you as that idol, just like you saw your idol before. Yeah. Or there's a kid I just worked with, with the Navy SEALs. He didn't know how to swim really before, or I helped him with heart rate training. And now he's actually in butts. So he passed all the qualifications. This kid, his name is Noah Kessler. um, He went from running like an eight minute mile. Now he's below six minute mile for two miles. He just put in the work got a heart rate monitor, trusted the process. And three months later at the age of 16 or 17, 18, he made such leaps and bounds, but he just did the work, man. I love it. And that, again, that's that small town mentality. You got to put up with the suck to get to the other side of greatness, right? (laughs) You are big into the heart rate training. And this is something I had been doing a little bit before I actually met you, but I wasn't as into it as, you like i actually had lost my like the battery to my heart rate monitor about a week before i met you or two weeks before i met you and i was like god i don't want to buy another one like i was just so mad right (laughs) and but then i was like listening to you and just like the way you were talking about heart rate training and how good it is for you and beneficial it is for you i was like okay fine i gotta i gotta buy one and Again, I'm glad I did. And a lot of our conversations revolve around what your heart rate is running so-and-so miles and things like that. Where did you learn this, this, the benefits of heart rate training? Was that in your triathlete days or where did that come from? So when I started racing triathlon, I had a coach. Um, He was big into like go by feel for so much. And then once I got a sponsorship, it came with uh, us coach. His name was Dr. Rick Katoof. And we still talk three, four times a week, right? We're like best friends. He's 52. He's the coolest guy ever. Ripped as can be, you know, just amazing. And he used to race for Team USA. And he got some of the best coaching. Chris Carmichael, if you're familiar with that name, he was coached directly by Carmichael. And when I got on the team, he's like, Cameron, you have to check your ego. The The race does not end getting off the bike. I used to bike as hard as I could on a half Ironman. And then my legs were just shot. And I thought it was like lack of motivation, lack of training, more, 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 right? He's like, paper that heart rate back and do this. And he's like, now it's going to feel slow. You're going to have to check that ego. But in the long run, trust the process. Had it not been for him, I would have never went down that road. And I gave it a shot for like three months and just made tons. of. I went from running like a 125 half marathon off the bike to sub 120 on a half Ironman. Mm-hmm. And if you were running back then, sub 120, that puts you in contention for the win every time. And you had a decent bike, and my bike was more than decent. Uh, and then mountaineering, it's just a tool no matter. And I travel a lot around the world, different climates. I can go faster in a 35-degree low-humidity climate than 75 degrees with high humidity. So you know your number. Just go out there and execute that, and it takes the guesswork out. What? I love it. So a mentor, so you're subscribed and I think I was subscribed to this. I think all runners are subscribed to this when they first start running because they don't know any better. They're just like, I have to, it's like when they do the mile timer at, in the gym, right? Yeah. Or when you're in school, it's like, I'm just going to run flat out as fast as I can for as long as I can. Right. And then that's my run. 
And then everybody hates run. And then what do they do? And they never come back to running because they hate it. Because yeah. it's you know, what what do you think that how how would it, how would you phrase the whole heart rate training to someone that might be a little bit resistant to it? How how do you kind of lead them into it? Uh, you ever seen the movie Days of Thunder? Old Tom no. Cruise movie. Dang it, no. I love to share, like when we do a presentation for work, I share this one video and it's Robert Duvall, this old school actor, right? Yeah, I know him, yeah. Tom Cruise, just like you said with a new runner, he's all enthused, he just goes out there hot on the track, <laughs> burns it up, right? But he burns it up and gets to the front, but can't finish. He has to come in the pit. It's like resting, right? Robert Duvall's like, all right, young gun, trust me on this just run it like this and back off ever so slight. You don't have to pit as much. Think of your going to pit as your body resting. Then you can stay out there longer at a higher sustained speed. And then Tom Cruise, then the light bulb goes off and he starts doing it Robert Duvall's way and they start winning races. And then once you start winning races or having these good outcomes day to day, you're like, I'm not going back and running as hard as I can for 30 minutes unless that's what I'm programmed to do every day. Mm-hmm. Cause you feel like crap and you just want like Coca-Cola, simple sugar. Dude. Um, like I shared with you last week, I did that 25 mile run. I took 210 calories and a water filter and then still averaged a seven minute mile with like seven or 3,500 feet of gain. And you were at a zone two heart rate for that, basically that entire time, which folks for zone two is like, that's basically where you can have a conversational pace, right? Like you're still breathing through your nose type of thing. That's it. I literally took a call for work on it and they didn't know I was running when I was running up the hill. (laughs) Now that is now. Yeah, dude, camp's heart rate and his zones are obviously they, they are endurance, like championship level right here. So when any ever, anybody talks about like, heart rates and things like that just know that cams are going to be a little bit a little bit more skewed one way or the other right but what do you tell me about this i already know what your answer is going to be wrist-based heart rate monitors versus chest straps yeah it's a tool it's just not as accurate the further away from the heart you get the less accurate it is so if there's some uncomfort females sometimes wearing chest straps i can see that they leave some like some uh, bruising things of that nature but truly the chest strap is still the way. Uh, I did some testing with a headphone manufacturer, Jabra. They sent me headphones and they did in-ear heart rate. What? It was, yeah, this was 2017. Um, you had headphones with them in the ear, but it's just, it doesn't jive as well as being stable tight right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't have a problem with the strap at all. It is really interesting because when I talk to some of my buddies that have a wrist base heart rate monitor. They're telling me like, Oh yeah, I was like in like 180, 180 beats. Like this entire, my buddy was telling me this when he did like the three sisters traverse, which is like 40, some 48 miles. I'm like, bro, like that is so wrong. Like if you were at 180 for 50 miles, you'd be dead. You'd be dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> or it's just a physical specimen that we have not yeah. encountered yet. It's the next, <laughs> you know, that we have not encountered yet. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Okay. Switching gears a little bit. So you touched a little bit on mountaineering, kind of use the heart rate in, in some of that and things. What has been the most difficult mountain you've climbed and what was that experience like for you? That's really tough to pin down, Chad. It could be 
the same mountain on a different day. Um, we encountered, I'd say it's the ones I've actually not climbed in. That'd be the way, Denali, where something happened, right? Where there's an instance where something goes wrong. It's not so much been the mountain, I'd say. I've been on very technical mountains like Chopakalki, over 20,000 feet, double rope propels, but everything went right. Most difficult is conditions uh, or mm -hmm. that's what I would say. Like Spantic, this last mountain we climbed in Pakistan and we got nearly five feet of snow within 30 hours and we're trying to like knock snow off tents. There's nothing you can do there, right? And I don't think of it this way. And luckily I was with a more experienced team. You could go there. I was like, oh, I paid $1,600 for a plane ticket to go to Pakistan. And then I paid for this new gear, right? And I had to do all this work and we didn't summit. I think it, it actually brings me peace when crazy things like that happen because we gave it our best shot. But to go up and endure, honestly, you probably wouldn't survive because you wouldn't make it through the deep snow and you'd just be caught out, you know? So difficulty, difficulty wise, that would be it. There's just, I mean, describing the stuff like what we're doing 8,000 meters up Gasher Brom or um, a peak that might not even be climbed in in June. <laughs> Those are what people call difficult, but it's just a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. So conditions can really make or break <laughs> how how difficult a certain climb is. Yeah. And, and, and for you, when you were in uh, the – which mountain was it where all the – snow came um, in Pakistan, the golden horn in Pakistan. When you were on the golden horn, you almost were, I bet you had some sort of pride that you guys didn't decide to still go and get summit fever and then go up to the top. And instead you guys were able to come back, make peace with that and live to do more mountains another day. Absolutely. Cause if you just go for strictly difficulty, then you're always, I guess you look at ski slopes and you're like, oh, I can ski a green. Now I can ski a blue. Now I can ski a black. And you keep trying to press those limits when you're more in the unknown factor that's not mitigated by avalanche control and all this. <laughs> that story does not end well eventually. <laughs> Cam, this is so funny because I, well, it's not funny. It's actually really cryptic because I literally just did a, a podcast, a live of where I talked about that. I was like, I love doing mountaineering things and, and adventures like that. The problem with me is that I like to progressively increase the difficulty, right? And eventually you get to that spot where it's a big gray area of like, it's almost like a coin flip of, you know, it's, I think of like K2 or something. It's like, yeah. geez, like it almost sounds like a, a coin flip, whether you're going to live or die on that. And I don't, I don't like that. I am a, attracted to the more harder peaks, but like yeah. at what point do you, at what point is that level sustainable? Correct. Correct. Where we're climbing in June is right next to K2. Concordia Glacier, walking up, K2 to the right, Gasher Brum 1 and 2 to the left, both over 8,000 meters. Mm. Right there. And for, for people, how many feet is that? What, 28? 26,000 and change. 26,000 26,000 feet. I just remember I was altitude sick at the top of Rainier last year really bad. That was 142 or 1 or something. <laughs> That's pretty But it's all high. relative though, right? It's all relative. Yeah. Yes. No, it is. Speaking of that new speaking of that new route. Actually, let me go back for a second. Have you ever heard the quote uh that 
John Krakauer said, and it, I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically it was like the fact people that climb Everest, they get to that spot because they're very motivated. However, there's a lot of deaths on Everest because of that motivation. Yeah. If that makes sense, like people are too summit hungry, there's too much summit fever, and now they're risking their life for the summit. What's your self-talk with stuff like that? I mean, because you had to have that on, at the Golden Horn. You probably have had it on other times where you've had to call it because of conditions. What's, what's your self-talk look like throughout? Yeah, I think it goes back at I'm, I'm 34 now, and I feel like internally I've always been 20 years older. You know, I have nothing to prove, right? right behind this computer is a puzzle 300 pieces i can i love putting it together and that's success for me just as much as climbing an 8000 meter peak <laughs> i only go to those 8000 meter peaks because i know like for me going to places that i've never been before is the only way to know until you go right you can look at pictures you can talk to people you can read books but that experience stays with you and then you can bring it back and share it with others. But I have to be very careful because my personality is drawn to those things. But you are loading a revolver in a way every time you go, right? And then yeah. you have to be careful with that, right? Like there's more to life than just climbing mountains is what I'm saying. I love climbing mountains, but I love running the business, the suitcase of courage and doing what we do. So it's a piece of the pie. It does not consume my identity, right? It's part of my identity. And if something doesn't go well on that roll when I'm climbing, it doesn't affect me personally. I love coming home and eating a lemon meringue pie with my mom. That's what I want to do more of because that's family. And if I'm up there taking risky things climbing, then I can't do that. <laughs> Interesting. I think you touched on something that was super big is – you said like it's part of your identity. It's not your whole identity. Exactly. And I think people that are wrapped up in that is their identity, that's where they're going at the summit at all costs. They don't have other parts of their life that are fulfilling, right? It could be, but you insert runner, triathlete, whatever it may be, right? If you're just like, I am Cameron this, then that's your identity. But you're so much more than that as a person. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's so interesting. I think back to when I was really heavy in, into jujitsu. It was like my first couple of years doing it, and I got injured, and I had like a few couple months where I like couldn't really train. And dude, yeah. I was so lost. I was like, I remember I started dating this new girl, and like my mojo was just gone, dude. Yeah, I was just not there, and yeah. I, it was terrible. It was because my identity was wrapped up into that. So, yeah. so your your thing is kind of you kind of like to diversify where you're getting that fulfillment from for your identity. Yeah. And then I always journal. I've, I've journaled since 2010 and I always draw it out like a pie graph of, okay, to be really good at mountaineering on this trip, I have to take that takes over more of my life in full focus, but I'm, I'm leaving part of that pie graph, such as family, friends, or at whatever may be the business. But when I come back, I kind of close down the mountaineering and then go more into the business family and friends in order to get that fulfillment. You can't just say, yeah. Yeah. So this, this is something that, okay. I'm very curious about, this is a good question. What, how do you bet? Is that the way you balance things? Cause you're very, you're accomplished in all these realms. Right. And so like when you start doing one thing, you, you, 
like you start watering one thing, one part of your training or whatever to get ready for this mountaineering, you're not watering these other parts of, of your life. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance that? Is that some of the journaling that you do? What, or what does that look like? Yeah, I think you see it as diminishing, I see it as diminishing returns, like an economic standpoint. It's, you studying for a test and you've put in four hours of studying and you know you're going to achieve a low level A. If I put in seven hours, then I'm going to get perfection. Is it worth it to put those three hours in more to you? And you have to make this decision, right? I, my decision is I'm good enough to get here and I will do this, but I don't want everything. I don't want my life to be consumed just for that because I don't like the way that feels. And I think I felt that when I was racing triathlon and I backed off of it. Everything was about the race and it's just a soul sucking thing, right? Like you're not, you're going to beautiful places in the world, but you're not going outside and exploring and meeting the people because you're resting your legs for the one race where you're around people you already know. Wow. I love this. So, so you, it's, it's kind of on the scale. If you're able to do X amount of training and get X result, you're going to be good with that. If, but if you are, say you still have time in the day, you could still do this, that, and the other thing. You're like, no, I'm good with where I'm at right now. Like I can live with that result because if not, I get into the diminishing returns where, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. It's like, I'm trying to think of like, you know, get, I'm looking at like a new laptop, right? I have like an older MacBook, but I'm like, yeah. okay, what's like, how much better is like another year old laptop going to be compared to what I have right now? Maybe like 3%, 5%, you know, I don't know, something like that. Like, is that really worth it? You know, yeah. it's like, as you, as you kind of get, especially once you start getting to the higher level of stuff you do, getting to those diminishing returns or when you try to upgrade something, those diminishing or those returns become smaller and smaller. It seems like, you know, in which they do, they, but that's a personal choice, right? You take someone that's an Olympic gold medalist or whatever sport they have, they went all in. So you have to applaud that, but you just yeah. got to know, know thyself too. Like that does not bring me happiness because I, I would not be willing to sacrifice all these other parts of my life for this many years of my life for that. You know, I think, I think for the people listening to this, I think this is really comforting to hear this from someone coming from you as someone that's very, you know, like I said, I look up to you. I would consider you a mentor for me. And hearing that from you is good because this is something I've really struggled with is the balance. And if I'm not doing this thing, then I feel guilty. If I'm not working on my business 24 seven, I feel guilty. If I'm not training every single day at a high level, I feel guilty and it can lead to burnout, man. Like it's, it's yeah, not it, like the best place to be. It will lead to burnout. Yeah. I think that's the thing is I'm still on that generation. When I started training, like we didn't have a Strava or anything, right? Like I just did my workouts and logged them back in the day, like wrote them down. It you can't compete all the time. The people that are like competing or running hard all the time are never really good at races. So like the old school Kenny Rogers song, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Dude, go on, just chill until it's time to not chill and let that freaking dragon out. I was born in 88, you're the dragon. Dude, I know it's inside me. I just tap into it when I need to and we roll. That's it. <laughs> but you got to... You know, 
keep that inside. <laughs> you know, you know, it's the first thing that comes to my mind when you talk about letting the dragon out is <laughs> for whatever reason was when you did your, I think it was a tri- triathlon, but you were in those bike shorts or those like denim shorts with like a crappy bike or something. And you were passing some dude on some expensive rig. Exactly. exactly. $10,000 yeah. bike going up Mount Bachelor, you know, yeah. it was past it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Now, transitioning again because another another thing you do is you're an entrepreneur so you have the suitcase of courage which essentially is you know i'm just gonna let you explain it because i think it's for me i'm gonna butcher it if i do yeah so i got corporate wellness um specifically designed to lower the musculoskeletal injuries so shoulder sprains strains lower back injuries and we also build a gym on site because we noticed a lot of people in rural areas don't have access to a wellness facility and people don't go to gyms if they have to drive more than 15, 20 minutes. That's what the study. So we build it on site, train their employees to be ambassadors of health. So you have no gym. So who's going to teach the classes? No one. But if you know you're Chad, you're working at X manufacturing, people identify with Chad. They like Chad. They're like, man, he goes out and charges on the weekends. I'll take a class from Chad. So then we train Chad to teach the classes, builds the camaraderie and the whole culture. And the gym's open 24 hours and less people getting hurt at work too by our MSK prevention. So when? I love it. So you basically take away the obstacle that everybody has when they're working, which is to get to the gym, right? Number one, especially when they have an hour, half hour for lunch, something like that. Yep. Then you also take away the obstacle of not having a trainer, showing them actually how to do stuff and things like that. So this is like on site. That's exactly right. We say create choices to eliminate employee excuses. You're right on with that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Something I'm really interested in is, and something I've been recently getting into as I become self-employed is finding, I've found some parallels between endurance sports and entrepreneurship. What do you think some of those things are and how has like you being an endurance athlete helped you in the entrepreneur world and vice versa? That's a great inference. And I think they both, they, I think comparing endurance sports like a lot of people are like, oh, I've got to fill out this form or apply. There's so many things now that we have to do doing business across the U.S. And I just look at it as things that have to be done. And there's that mm-hmm. part of just clocking into like a zone two run. That just has to be done. Agreed. So you just do it. You can either complain about it and let that ruin the other part of your life. There are some things. And, you know, you and I have developed a great friendship. And there's some calls where I might say, and I try to curtail the amount of things I complain because I'm not trying to bring my bad juju to someone else Mm -hmm. because in life and entrepreneurship, there's so many people out there that just want to talk about all the barriers, but there's a lot of opportunities for out there. We're creators now, man. We got, we're on a small nimble kayak versus a big cruise ship where we want to go. We can go. There's risk, but at the same time, there's that level of responsibility and fulfillment that comes from that. Awesome. So it's like, I I totally agree. There's things like, like every day, one of my things is I have to work out, right? Like I have to get some sort of like hour workout or I get these so many walks or whatever. It's like, that's just like baseline. You know what I mean? And it is kind of the same thing with entrepreneurship of like, yeah, there's certain things that have to be done and you just have to do it whether or not you like it or not, but it is going to be something that keeps your business healthy as well as your body healthy. Right. Right. And, and putting it off, like a couple of our team, 
they were traveling this weekend. They're great. This guy, he was racing a race down in Miami. He had to get back to Boston for work. His flight was canceled. Well, I was over in Victoria, Canada with a friend, and the call comes in. Well, did I want to take that call at the time? In my head, five years ago, I'd be like, man, I'm why well, take this call? But the, the best thing to do is always take the call at the time. Don't push it down the road. Be there for your people as quick as you can, and it makes everything better. Manage the team. Interesting. And this, and this, sorry, this guy was a part of your team or part of someone that you part of our team. He's great director operations, but I knew he had flight troubles, but it was, it was, it came in as we're checking out of the Airbnb, the cleaners were there, everything's going on, but you know, it's not a perfect world. You got to get it, got to handle it (laughs) to do what needs to be done. So what you're saying is being part of a, you know, being in the leadership role, you need to deal with things when they're not in the ideal circumstances. Correct. As an entrepreneur, it's 24 hours a day. It could come at any time. Stuff's going to happen, right? You can't just close your eyes and avoid the monster in the, in, you know, in the closet. If the monster's there, address it. Yeah. How do you deal with the, and we'll wrap up here soon because I know we got to roll for a meeting, yeah. but how do you deal, something I've found is, as a being self-employed is like, I kind of am in this, I kind of am in this little bit of a roller coaster, right? Like yeah. some days I'll have multiple days. I'm like, yes, like I'm on top of the world. Then it's like, Oh man, then you have all these worries and anxieties and things like that. And it's the same thing that I've experienced running an altar are things like, but usually every time that I get through that Valley, there's an, there's always another like positive and there's always yeah. another up. How do you deal with, how do you deal with that? entrepreneurship roller coaster. It's probably pretty good for you right now. I would say you've been in business for many years and I'm guessing it's getting a little bit more stable. Right. But like, I guess when you were a younger entrepreneur, how did you deal with that? Uh, You start looking at things like, I don't want red flag seems to be the word that everybody uses these days, but predictable. Like when you have a team and things are happening, you kind of see the writing on the wall. And going back to like, just don't close your eyes. If the writing on the wall is something's there or they need attention, give them attention before it becomes a bigger thing that needs an actual oh, a sit down, right? So these are going great. You don't have to spend as much time on the stuff that's going great because you know it's going great. Just mm-hmm. you're, it's like raking leaves, I would say, right? Like you don't want to leave, you're bringing that pile forward, right? But you always got to reach back and get some more of those leaves and pull them forward. It's the name of the game and you just accept it. <laughs> yeah. deal with it before it gets any bigger right yeah you know it's there don't try to pretend like it's not a problem address it and you got to have some uncomfortable conversations sometimes but those are some of the best because maybe both people are on that page like oh this is this let's, yeah. let's, let's quit the mutual mystification and let's get together <laughs> i love it <laughs> See, when I tell you folks, he this dude is an inspirational cat. I love love talking with him. And I guess my final my final question to wrap this up would be so you've you know, you've achieved quite a bit of stuff. You've given back as well to places in Peru, your hometown, even people in your hometown, your own team. What is it that gets you stoked for the future? What are some, yeah, like in the future, like what are some things you're really like looking forward to as you kind of keep going down this path? Or maybe you, you switch the path. I, I don't know. What what are the things that? Growth, right? Like meeting you, our connection was formed. I've found like base is always run, bike, or swim. It's great for training. But I want to pick up surfing, um, going to new mm-hmm. countries. One of my goals always is visit 
at least one country for years of my life. That's something I set individually. So I'm now almost a two to one ratio. So I'm going to a new place, seeing new people, doing new things. That brings me joy because I already know what the others look like or setting those world records. I would never go back and if someone broke the step up world record and do that again because of purpose. I want to maybe do X world record or something new because that's it, man. If, if not, we're just doing the same thing over and over again. And what's the difference in 34 and 44? I want to look back from 34 to 44. I'm like, this is what I learned. This is what I did. This is where I went. And this is who I hung out with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just that continual growth. I, dude, I'm the same way. Like I hate doing things like a second time or something like that. Like yeah. I love doing just like new and new and new things, which is why it's probably pretty hard for me to settle on where I want to actually end up like to live. It's same with you, right? It's like, you love the van. You yeah. love your van. Yeah. By the way, he's in his van all the time, guys. But then again, like he might be buying a, you know, someplace in, well, we won't say it on here, but yeah, yeah he's, he's also looking at a house. So it's like, but he loves the van life, man. Like that's a new place every time. That's right. I mean, the, the place we won't say, I was looking at a house here seven years ago and I knew I wanted to be here, but there's so many places, you know, you can't always go. You can always stay. Right. So right now, if you're in a, a place where you can go and see new things, do that. It's like taking life for granted that at 65, you're magically going to retire in your 401k. Now the S and P is over 8,000 and I got all this money in the bank and I'm healthy and still run a sub 20 minute 5k. If that's not a joke, I don't know what it is. So don't do that. Do something else. <laughs> Boy, we, we could we could do a whole other podcast on investing and, yeah. and this whole thing, which we were gonna bring up maybe a little bit. But yeah, no, I love it, dude. Well, dude, I appreciate I appreciate you coming on, man. Like truly like glad I met you at the top of Mount Hood last year. It it's been great. How can people find out more about your biz if you know say somebody is an employer and they want to get connected with you how did how would they do that would be great the suitcaseofcourage.com uh, you can contact us on there and it goes straight to my email but we're active on linkedin cameron dorn please friend me um i've started thanks to you posting periodically on instagram at dorn cameron um and then facebook is cameron dorn so that's it yeah 